Hey, seasoned athletes, I'm Robin Leggett, and this is episode 25 of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. This is your home for inspiring stories and motivational advice from competitive athletes from a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We're here to prove one story at a time that age does not have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. To learn more about this podcast and see show notes from this or any episode, visit seasonedathlete.me. And if you like what you hear, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Audible, where you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash seasonedathlete. If your holiday plans include a flight or a long road trip, there's no better way to make the travel time pass quickly than by diving into a great audiobook. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, including some authored by previous seasoned athlete guests like Katherine Switzer and Lee DiPietro. To get your free audiobook download and 30-day free trial, go to audibletrial.com slash seasonedathlete or visit seasonedathlete.me and click on Audible Trial on the main menu. Today's main interview is with adventure racer, crossfitter, obstacle racer, and 2013 World's Toughest Mudder Women's Champion, Deanna Blegg. But first, let's meet this week's Everyday Seasoned Athlete. The Everyday Seasoned Athlete segment is where we share firsthand stories from athletes who are over age 40 and represent a wide variety of backgrounds and athletic experience. My goal through the stories these athletes share in their own words is to inspire you to get out and try something new. I like to stay on theme whenever possible when it comes to the sport featured in each seasoned athlete episode. So today, it only makes sense that our everyday seasoned athlete would also be an obstacle racer. Let's meet Regina Andler. My name is Regina Andler. I am 54 years old. I'm from Salem, New Hampshire, and my chosen sport is obstacle course racing. I got into obstacle course racing right after my mom passed away. When my mom passed away, I kind of got into a funk and I needed something to do. And that was in 2013. I had only been working out for about a year or so in my entire life. I started working out at 48. And my friend had told me about a race that was coming up in November. And she said it was called the Boston Spartan Sprint. And honestly, I actually thought that the Sprint Telephone Company was putting on a race. I had no clue what she was talking about. And so I needed to get out of my funk and do something completely different with my life. So I said, sure, I'll sign up for it. And so without even thinking, without a hitch, I went online, signed up for the Boston Fenway Sprint. And when I saw the pictures, I went, "Uh uh-oh, what did I just get myself into? And so I YouTubed, went to YouTube, and looked up some Fenway Sprint videos. And then I really got nervous and said, wow, what did you just do? And I said, you know what? I really need to go do something different, so I'm going to go do it anyway. And I did. I told a few people that, I was going to go do it. They all looked at me like I was crazy because they knew I had never really done anything like this before in my life. And so I went, went to that Fenway sprint and I instantly fell in love with obstacle course racing. It was the best thing I ever did. So when I went to go do the obstacle course racing and had having no clue what it was, I got to the Boston Fenway sprint. And the first thing you had to do was climb over a wall to get to the starting line. Now it's a little tiny wall and I couldn't even climb over that wall. But it was really fun having people help me over that wall. And then there was ropes and there was cargo nets to climb over and other walls to go over. 
things to crawl under and all this other stuff. And I thought, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. This is like a giant playground for adults. I love this. As an older athlete, I have uh, a number of aches and pains, as many older athletes do. Uh, I did not start working out until later in life. As I mentioned before, I was about 48 years old. And so my body was not adjusted. I've never done sports ever in my life. And uh, before I did my first Fenway sprint, while I was training, my right knee started bothering me. I had no clue what was going on. I'd never had a real problem with my knee. So I went to an orthopedic doctor, and he MRI'd it. And he said, yeah, you have a torn meniscus, and you're basically bone on bone on that knee. What are you doing? And I said, I'm doing a Spartan race. He said, yeah, no, you're not. And I said, "Um, yeah, I am. And and I said, well, either fix my knee or find something else, or I'm going to go find a new doctor because I'm doing this. So um, between that and other aches and pains with shoulders and just, you know, the body being older and not being used to doing any of this, I found it, it's been very challenging trying to get myself up to speed to be able to do some things. But I still have a lot of challenges and I'm still working towards a lot of new things. But, you know, as I'm getting there slowly but surely, I'm gaining strength and find things easier and easier to do every race that I do. My one piece of advice that I would give to people that are looking to get into this that are uh, more of an advanced age, we'll just call it, is don't give up. If you really want to go do it, just go do it. But listen to your body. Your body will tell you, yes, you can do this. No, you can't do this. And the stuff that you can't do, you know, just work around it because there's always a way to work around everything. I haven't found anything yet in all of the races that I've done. I've done a number of races outside of the Spartan series. I've done a number of other races. And there's been a lot of challenging things that I never thought I would even look at before that I was surprised that I could find a way to work around my my own personal issues with my body, and there was other ways to do things. There's not just one cookie-cutter way to get over some of these obstacles. If you're challenged in certain ways, if you have a knee issue, if you have an arm issue, there's always another way to do something. I am Regina Andler, and I am a seasoned athlete. If you'd like to tell your everyday seasoned athlete story in a future episode, visit seasonedathlete.me slash everyday and tell us a little bit about yourself. And now it's time to meet this week's featured seasoned athlete. Today's guest is an inspiration in the highest sense of the word. As you will hear, she has faced some incredibly difficult circumstances in her life and has not just survived, but continues to thrive as a high-level athlete who, in her words, has yet to find her peak. Let's meet Deanna Blagg. Hi, Deanna. Hey, Robin. How are you going? I'm great. How are you? Awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. So you are Deanna Blegg from Melbourne, Australia, and you are the definition of tough. You're a mother, HIV and AIDS survivor, breast cancer survivor, and you're an adventure racer, obstacle racer, crossfitter, and all-around awesome athlete. You won the overall women's title in the 2013 World's Toughest Mudder, a 24-hour obstacle racing event where competitors run continuous five-mile loops in an attempt to complete as many as possible. Just last month, you took fourth place overall in the women's division in that same race after taking the previous year off to fight breast cancer. Like I said, definition of tough. You're also the creator of The Blegmit, a lightweight neoprene glove that I can say firsthand is amazing for cold weather races because I had to own a pair. And you help others prep for endurance events with your Blegfit training programs. Is there anything vital personally, professionally, or from your athletic life that you'd like to take a brief moment to fill in? Um, no, I think you've, co- you've done a great job of covering it all. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I tried to be as thorough as possible. 
So from here, I'm going to ask the big question that I ask all my guests, and that is, what is your age at this moment in time? I am 48 years old. Fantastic. So let's start from the beginning. When did you start playing sports and what did your early athletic life look like? I started sport at uh, quite an early age. I had um, asthma and I was they adv- the doctors advised my mum to start me swimming because that apparently was good for my lungs. So I started swimming and just ducked to water, loved it um, and reached quite high levels of it. And that was back in, oh, I can't even remember it. <laughs> long time ago, 40 years ago. Um, And then I um, heard of uh, aquathons and triathlons, and so I just wanted to do them. So I had to put some running into my training and then later riding and ended up doing triathlons for about seven or eight years in the late 80s, no, early 80s, so late Tim, yeah, that's how long ago. It all starts blending together when you when you get to be in your late forties, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, how old were you when you were doing? Triathlons? Uh, I think I started doing triathlons at age fourteen. So very young. Yeah, and I, I remember winning my first race as well, and um, which was pretty exciting as a fourteen-year-old. And um, I, yeah, I just sort of went on a winning streak for quite a few years. Which was good. Yeah. So you found success very early on. You found that you had a knack for these, especially these like longer form endurance races. Yeah, sure. So I, I guess, you know, great genetics as well as a lot of, you know, I did a lot of time to my sport. So, you know, it just didn't happen. I, you know, I'd been training. I think I must have started swimming training at eight or nine years old and doing, you know, two hours a morning at squad training every single day. So, you know, there's a lot of history gone into the body and, you know, that builds up a great cardio engine as well as some great lungs. And add running into the mix and riding into the mix and it was, yeah, it's good fun. I, it's funny you say good fun because what I heard when you were talking about your swimming is intense discipline. Two hours of swimming at, at such a young age, but you look at it, it's like, oh, it was good fun. Yeah, so it's I didn't ever think, like when you're that age, you don't think, you just kind of do. Yeah, yeah. So uh, how long were you doing triathlons? Uh, how long were you in that sport? I did triathlons at the age of about 20. One twenty-two, um, but by then I'd had like a, a few health complications. Um, I used to push so hard that my body, like I'd go to a subconscious state or sometimes an unconscious state. So like I never had an off button. I just sort of went till my body dropped and um, it was causing a few health issues. Some, you know, a couple of races I ended up unconscious and in hospital and that sort of stuff. So my mum sort of said, you know, what are you doing this for? Is it affecting your health? And I, I probably for once in my life listened to her and thought, yeah, like I'm just, the fun had gone by, you know, I'd been in the Commonwealth Games and the World Championships and there was a lot of politics and, you know, all the fun, which was what it was about for me, had gone. So I stopped um, triathlons and then bought a mountain bike, started mountain biking, did some whitewater rafting and just actually, you know, I kept fit, but. I, I played in nature rather than being a full-on athlete. A little more free form with... Yeah, with I loved it too. So I kept fit, I kept healthy, I got to chill out and go camping on the weekends and rafting and mountain biking. It was just really cool. It sounds like nature is your happy place. Yeah, it certainly is. So how old were you when you received your HIV diagnosis? I was, I just turned 24. So it was around this time you said you were playing, you were involved in triathlons and started getting these health complications. Was that around a similar time? Yeah. So I finished triathlons in about, uh, when I was about 20, I think it must have been 21, 22. And I started traveling around the world. I just thought, 
you know, I got an opportunity to do a cross-country skiing expedition in the Indian Himalayas, which I jumped on. And then there was like another, uh, like, months of rafting in Nepal because being a, I was a raft guide in Australia, so a group of raft guides would get together and I raft the five biggest rivers in Nepal. So I sort of did that and then I, I bought a one-way ticket. I didn't want to come home in a hurry, so I just thought, see how long my money will last me and I just kept on travelling. I'm envious of that lifestyle. Oh, it's so good. It was so I know. good. Oh, it's so cool. Um, but then that eventually led to this diagnosis. Can you talk about the series of events that, that led to that place? Yeah, sure. From Nepal, I went to England, travelled around Europe by bike, by foot, just, you know, I just went where the wind blew me pretty much. Uh, And then in, uh, I met up um, with my best friend from school and we travelled down to Africa. And um, once again, we just had an open ticket because we don't know, like when you're just, when you're just travelling and you don't have a deadline, you just sort of drift wherever wherever you drift and I love sort of traveling anyway I ended up in Malawi and I was living with a little African family there which was amazing you know traveling you can travel two ways you can be a tourist looking in on the country or you can become part of that environment and and see it from the grassroots level and that I really wanted to do so in Malawi I had that opportunity I um, stayed with this little African family and it was a very very simple life you know it was dirt floor tin roof mud walls no electricity no running water and uh, you know being a blonde haired blue eyes I couldn't ever be you know, I, I, I always stood out but yes. you know you know I'd go and collect the water in the morning from the well and you know we'd go down the <clears throat> to the markets to collect the fruits and cheese for the day and that sort of stuff. So it was a very way of life. Um, it was fantastic. But whilst it, while I was in that sort of situation, I fell for one of the local guys and, you know, I'd heard about HIV and AIDS in Africa and when I'd left, I, you know, I, I'd made this commitment to myself, like I'll, I'll never, like, sleep with an African man because of the HIV and that sort of stuff. But, you know, I fell for this guy and... Love is blind, <laughs> and uh, oh, you know, I was there in the village about three or four months, and just I, you know, I started using condoms when we first met, but they sort of ran out. The ones that I bought with me, pretty quick actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, lots of downtime over there in Africa, so yeah, I used the local variety, and they're just you know, we've got standards here in Australia and America that condoms have to meet but over there they don't have those sort of standards or maybe they've got the condoms from they were rejects from other countries or that sort of stuff so they sort of failed and then once you've they've failed like oh well I've exposed myself anyway so what's the point so anyway it was like it was once that sort of happened that I, I started becoming very unwell and started with fevers headache and all the glands came up in my body and I thought mm, this is not good went to the doctors there and they said I had um, pneumonia no it wasn't pneumonia they said I had tonsillitis they gave me medications for it and it just didn't work and I got sicker and sicker and I yeah, I lost about twice in a six-week period. I was very, very sick. Which is, uh, on American terms, that's like 45 pounds, something like that? Yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trying to do my, my kilos to pounds math. but uh, You did yeah. very well. Thank so, you. Yeah, so it was a lot of weight and, you know, a lot of health disappeared. And my, my previously strong, fit, healthy body just wasted. Or I got really scared and I just nothing was helping me over there and I just said goodbye to my family, said goodbye to my boyfriend and came back to, I went back to England and I just 
pretty much walked in the door. Well, I was kind of carried in the door of the hospital and just said, you know, just I explained my situation and um, I just said, test me for everything. Had HIV come into my mind? Sure, you know, you kind of think about it, but, you know, 24-year-old, wouldn't. I just thought it never happened to me. So I did request a test just, you know, to just so I could go, yeah, <clears throat> I've done, I've had that test and, you know, it's all good sort of thing. But, yeah, it wasn't all good. No, you thought you were just covering your bases, but. Yeah, that's right. And so you got the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, and this was in the early 90s? Yes, not, not in, uh, so I I was infected aged in uh, age 23 and diagnosed age 24. So it was around my birthday. And so this was back in a time that there was a lot of stigma around mm-hmm. HIV and AIDS, and it was considered pretty much be a death sentence at that time. That's um, right. But obviously, you are not just alive, you are thriving as a top-level athlete. So we know you come out the other side of this. Um, spoiler alert. So how did you start paving the path out of the darkness of that? Because there was a point where you, you had full-blown AIDS, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. And and you were given, were you given six months to? That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. So at first, there was no, we had no access to medication. And I just, I just thought, if I go home now, I'm going home to die. And I don't want to do that yet. I still want to, I thought I only have a little bit of time left. So I'm going to make life quality, not quantity. So I wanted to keep traveling. I wanted to head back to Africa and tell my boyfriend what had gone on and, you know, get it sorted that he had a test and that sort of stuff. So I, that were my goals, but, you know, I never made it back down there. Um, I ended up coming back to Australia in 1995. So I was just turned 26 and my health, you know, I never really recovered from that that first impact. Not only did, was I diagnosed with HIV, I also had malaria and pneumonia and um, I carried another bug called um, bilharzia. So I had all those things attacking my immune system and within two years I was a mess, like AIDS diagnosis, six months to live, that sort of thing. Fortunately, in Australia, we had started having access to the HIV medication, and that's that's why I'm here today. I, and it was really horrible back then. It's some serious side effects, and a, never fun to take. But you know, it it gave me a chance at life. So the timing actually seems like it worked out very well for you in regards to when you were able to get a hold of that medication. Absolutely, yeah. How did you find your way back to? not just living, but an athletic life? When I uh, started taking the medication, I could feel my body changing. I mean, the medication was helping my body fight, which gave me a lot more energy. Um, I could see and feel my body healing. I just had more energy in my days. So I thought I could live a long time and I want to get, you know, the most I can out of my life. And so I made a list of things which I wanted to to achieve. One, one was like family, have kids, the second was, well, find a career, make, you know, make a career for myself. Uh, and uh, under that was sport. Uh, travel was in there as well. So so I kind of, not that I intentionally, like, went from top to bottom, but, you know, when whatever you focus on and if you focus on positively, you kind of get. So ended up finding a guy, had a family together, which was awesome. I had a daughter who's 19 and a son who's 14, both are HIV negative and yeah. my partner's, yeah. And also my partner's HIV negative. So I'm not no longer with him, but, you know, I did not infect my children or my partner. So that's pretty cool. Yes. And next in line was sports. So I didn't actually start really getting back into sport until I was 35 or 36. 
So I had a big time off and because I was unsure, like, how would my body respond? The doctors always say, don't do sport with HIV because it'll harm the immune system and, you know, you could get sicker and that sort of stuff. But my body responded to it amazingly. Um, I thrived. As soon as I started training, my immune health picked up. My love of life was, you know, reignited. Like, I always love life, but, you know, sport just adds so much more to your life. So, yeah, it was just, I just leaped in and off I went. You tapped into this side of yourself that you've always had from a very early age, but had lost for a while. That's right, yeah. But it's it was always there. And that was the, you know, you talked about those hours you spent swimming that some would call discipline, but you called fun. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you were able to tap into uh, in your 30s to to kind of have this this comeback. Yeah. So what was the first race or event that you did in this comeback? I, uh, I was 35 um, and I saw a flyer for an adventure race, which involved swimming, paddling, running and riding. And I picked this up and it like had a great, you know, pool and I went, I'm going to win this. And, um, you know, that year I did it, I ended up, I'd come off my medication again because I thought I was pretty strong um, and I ended up with AIDS in a hospital again. So, Lesson learned. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And I haven't, I tell you what, ever since then, that was back in, um, what, 2005, ever since then I've taken my tablets and I haven't taken a break from them because when I've got a family and kids that rely on me, you know, I ended up, I was a mess. I ended up in hospital for a long period of time. My lungs were shot because I got um, a specific type of pneumonia, which is quite um, life-threatening. So yeah, I've um, been very good with my medication since then. I imagine it only takes one time to (laughs) to have that happen to be like, I don't think I want that to happen again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the next year I, um, I sort of, I think I gave myself a six weeks of training thinking you know that I could still pull off what I did when I was young but I didn't (laughs) lesson learned I do have to train so um, I I came seventh in the open women and my fire was just ignited I was and and I had this desire to to win that race I came back the next year and won it Um, ended up sort of being the best in Australia in adventure racing for about a five or six year period and raced around the world you know, I had this amazing life. By this stage, I was getting into the 40s and I'm thinking, like, I'm living with HIV for over, you know, 20 years and and I've got this amazing athletic life. Like, I'm living the dream. You are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll just tell you right now, you are. And it's really cool that you continue to get to travel, which you love. You love the aspect of traveling and you got to do that through these races, through these events and kind of got the best of all of these worlds. Yeah, it's, it's been just an amazing opportunity and I don't, like, I don't take it for granted. I just so appreciate what, what I've been able to, I guess, what my life has, the journey of my life, I've really appreciated it. And I guess when you find yourself in a life-threatening situation, which you have on several occasions, it just makes you appreciate it even more. Absolutely, yeah. It's hard, it's hard to take anything for granted, I imagine. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about World's Toughest Mudder, because that's the race where you've perhaps become most well-known, at least recently. Can you go into some detail about what this race is all about and how you got involved with it? I, I'm a runner. I love running. It's my it's my happy place. It's where I sort of go into meditative state. Um, so running is just my go-to sport. Um, and I remember in 2011 seeing this 
you know, came on the radio about this world's toughest, I mean, about tough mutters. And that was a running race with obstacles. And I just thought, I love this idea. Like, I love running. And then I love the, the sense of the unknown. I think that's why I like adventure racing as well, because you just don't know what's around the corner. So this put, like, two loves together. And I, I got online and read about tough mutter. And then I saw this thing about tough mutter. And <clears throat> I just went straight to that and went 24 hours obstacle racing, running, and I just, that was my goal. So I did the Tough Mudder here in Australia in early 2012, and those days we had to qualify to be in the top 5% of Australia to qualify for the world's toughest mudder, and that was just my goal, um, which I achieved. And, yeah, that was, that was, uh, they were early days when the race was, um, the world's toughest mudder was over in New Jersey. It's a very, very different animal to what it is now, and, yeah, like I, I went across not really prepared physically, but I had enough history in my body to do what I did. Um, but my main concern was the cold because back then it dropped, in you know, below freezing. And I just thought, well, 24 hours isn't going to be a problem. Running and obstacles aren't going to be a problem, but this cold thing is going to be a really big problem. So I have what's called Raynaud's disease or syndrome where circulation is really poor in my fingers and feet and my hands go cold and numb well before anyone else's. So I just thought, how am I going to do obstacles with this numbness? So I created this sort of mitt thing because I needed body heat. Like I tried gloves. I, I trialled so many things. I tried gloves, but that kept my fingers away from each other so they couldn't heat up. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to get them on when your fingers are already cold too. Oh, absolutely. And then like you can't do obstacles properly with them on, you know, they get in the way and that sort of stuff. So I, I researched wetsuits. I went, I spent a whole day going to wetsuit shops, trying on wetsuits and I found it really cool wetsuit that suited what I was after. And the gloves thing, kept me going for a long time. I just thought, stuff it, I'm going to compare. And that's um, how Blegmit started. So I actually used them for the first time in 2012 and have used them ever since. But, yeah, it was a the race ate me up. It was a crazy. We had 10-mile laps back then. Oh, wow. Yeah, 10-mile laps. It was freezing cold. The penalties were ice baths. Oh, so so if you, just to be clear, because a lot of our listeners are not obstacle race people. Yep. Uh, so if you can't complete an obstacle, you had to do an ice bath? Yeah, some of the, the yeah, and they, they were full of ice and like, it was... It was crazy. It was just a crazy time. I remember um, one time that there was only like five people out on course, and everyone else was in the the tents, you know, sitting around the heaters and stuff. Um, but I remember running past the pit stop, and I'd seen people that had obviously taken their wetsuit off and pitted for the night, you know, hopped in a, a sleeping bag and that sort of stuff, and their wetsuits put in ice and frozen. I just thought, how are they going <laughs> to how are they going to hop back in those things? Yes, it was pretty brutal that year. So it was brutal, but how did you do? I um, I went across there with a goal. I wanted to win it um, and I wanted to place in the top 10 in the uh, overall. Um, I had no mileage goals because I had no clue what was going to happen. So um, I placed third outright and second woman, another lady, Amirun, um, an absolutely awesome athlete. It was pretty – it was just – far and beyond anything I could have imagined. Even though I didn't get my first place, I was just so pumped with achieving what I did. Not too shabby for a race that it was your first time, you didn't know what to expect. 
the elements were crazy. Second place behind Amelia Boone is nothing to, to <laughs> you know, don't you don't want to feel bad about that. And especially because one year later, what happened? One year later, I went back with the same goal. I wanted to finish top 10 and be the first woman across the line. And I achieved that goal, which is pretty awesome. And I think I finished sixth outright. Amazing. So what do you think were the keys to your quick and early success in that particular race format? Um, I think firstly, I took the cold seriously and um, really prepared myself. So I I think being able to keep myself warm, uh, I have an ability to switch off from my brain, uh, brain, I guess. So all those little voices that normally, you know, have a little chat and say, you know, you should stop this now and this isn't good or, you know, you feel crap, you need a rest, all that sort of stuff. I don't, I don't ever let in my head, I just sort of go into a little bubble and I just, each step I'm in that bubble. I don't think, man, I've only done eight hours. I've got another 16 to go. I don't let myself think any further than the next step. And that works for me. Yeah. I mean, you made two really important points there. The, the taking the cold seriously, which, you know, you can train for a race. You could just, you'd be perfectly trained for a race, but if you're not ready for those elements, Mm -hmm. they will take you out. And, and then the mental game, the mental game, which is just so hugely important. And it, it sounds like you kind of have really mastered that by not letting those voices in your head take you to the dark place. Yeah. And then were you wearing the bleg mitts every time too? Every year I wore them, but they weren't known as bleg mitts then. I just had the guns on and, you know, they were working for me and I didn't say anything about them for no other reason that it was just like, I don't know, I just... Yeah, I, I wore them every single year. I've worn them every single event. But, you know, the, the last two events, 2016, 2017, they've got a name. Um, at the 2015 event, uh, a friend of mine, my best mate, came across, um, Amanda Steidel, and she's like, she made, because she'd seen mine, and she was doing World Stuff Smarter, so she made a pair for herself. And then, like, she made a couple others just for other, you know, other people and other friends. And everyone's going, these are great. You've got to, you know, market them and you've got to make these. And Shayla, yeah. So that's what initiated. And she's like a little energizer bunny. So she's just gone, yeah, let's do this. And I'm like, oh, it's that's like work. I oh, know. <laughs> I want to go and play. Anyway, <laughs> she was a very good engine and motivator and together we sat down. Um, I, I had uh, early 2016 abdominal uh, uh, hysterectomy due to a tumour growth in my abdomen and um, we sat down in my, you know, in that recovery time and played with patterns and put the bits together and that's that's how they, that's how they, it all happened. So it's all fairly recent that Blegmit became Blegmit. Yeah. Yep. 2016, we started sitting down. And so let's talk about 2016 a little bit, because that was an important year. You've competed in every world's toughest mutter except that year, 2016. Uh, That was the year that you were diagnosed with breast cancer. That's right. So I didn't ever do the first one, which was 2011, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, But yeah, every, every time I like I've done a World Stuff Smarter, you know, as soon as I finish, I'm, I'm thinking what I need for the next event to make it all works. Um, 2016 was, you know, still in my goal. But when people say, are you going to come back? I go, all being well, I, I will return. But um, so people have been asking me, I go, yeah, all going well, I will return. And I, I didn't return that year. Um, so it was, I'd had, like I say, early 2016, I'd had this, 
tumour growing inside me. It ended up being 1.6 kilos. You could probably two, nearly three pound. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I'd get off. Like it'd been growing and growing. Um, but, you know, if you put off things, they force themselves on you and you end up having to do it. So I thought, oh, well, I'll get that taken out. And I'd recovered from that and then I was over in Russia doing some HIV awareness and from there I went to China and started adventure racing again and it was there that I found this lump in my breast and it was like a like a size of it, like a chickpea, really hard and I thought that's kind of weird. But in the middle of racing, like not, not when I found it, but like it was a three-day race. So I've, I've just gone, well, I'll focus on the race, I'll put this aside, you know, and I'll address that when I get back to Australia. So I, I was able to put it aside. I didn't worry about it. I just went, all right, we'll address that later. Uh, but the day I, I, I said, all right, let's start this process. So I booked into the doctor and, yeah, the rest. The rest is your history, yes. That's it. And hopefully it is history. Yes. So I already mentioned that this year you came back, uh, did World Toughest Mudder 2017 just about a month ago, came in fourth place uh, overall women. Uh, so that's a heck of a comeback in one year. Can you talk about the time between the diagnosis and that race and how you were able to come back and get back on the course this year. Yeah, sure. So, you know, when you speak, like speaking to someone through the process was really helpful for me. I spoke with a lady and she just gave me the best piece of knowledge. She said, just take a snip a year out of your normal life and just accept it. Like don't fight it. Don't be angry with it. Just it's going to, and it was great. I just thought, all right, this is my temporary new me. So it was, and I always said it's just temporary. It's just temporary. So I chose to go through Western medicine treatment, which was the chemo and the radiation. Um, and I could never, ever wish that on anyone. It was brutal. It was horrible. The, the chemo is made to kill, like I read the definition in the Wikipedia and it said to kill living cells. And, like, to watch that go into my body, it just it was pretty hard. But I knew it was just temporary. And my goal after going through chemo and radiation is that I want to build a better version of myself. So, firstly, I went to a chief doctor and I said, I never, ever want to go through chemo again. What do I need to do? Um, now, the type of breast cancer I have is grade 3 aggressive invasive. So, it, it's got a high recurrence of returning. Um, and I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be one of those statistics. So that's why I really sought out what do I need to change to prevent this? Or not, you know, you can never prevent anything, but to minimise the chance of this coming back. Yeah, and she said, look, firstly, I've got to come off all apps. Secondly, I had to come off processed foods. And thirdly, to drop sugar from my diet. So I just went, that day, I just went, okay. And that's all pretty much, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just thought, yeah, like, if this is the things that are, if these are the things that are causing this, then if I cut them from my diet, I have, you know, a better chance of getting through it all. So I did, and my my life has turned around since following those three steps. My energy, my vitality, um, all the aches and the pains. Like as a mature athlete, I was. This is pre-cancer, and you know, in my competitive state you know I'd get out of bed in the morning and I'd have you know I'd hobble around for about half an hour before I could straighten out and all the pain would go um now post post cancer and, and sort of eating the way I do I, I wake up in the morning and can stand straight I don't I've had like um chronic Achilles tendinopathy and that's completely gone yeah it's like there's so much 
all from cutting animal products, processed foods, and sugar. Yeah, like, and my recovery is better. And I went into this rate, like this world's toughest butter was a test for me because I had a benchmark. It was a test for me to see if I could do it. And I, I had the best race I've ever had there. I have done the most mileage that I've ever done. I had the best recovery. Like the next day I was... I could I could run up and down stairs and muscle fatigue, but there was like normally I'm I'm bedridden for a week. So. Right. I mean that's a that's a really intense race. It's 24 hours, and you're like eh, I'm just a little sore. Yeah, and I still took four weeks off after the event, um, because I need like we're animals, and every animal has a time of being active, and then a time of hibernation or rest. So that was part of part of how I. I Every year I take those weeks off where I do pretty much nothing and it's, it's, I think it's very healthy. Um, so I've just finished that four weeks now and I've just rocked up like we had a CrossFit comp um, at our CrossFit box and I've just, I've, just, I've just come back from that now and I, I won it like in the <laughs> women's. <laughs> and here I am like 48, up at, you know, 48 years old up against all these CrossFitters. Like there, I don't know how many, it was pretty massive. So, you know, it's just... My recovery's just been awesome. My engine's awesome. Yeah, I'm just, I'm super excited. Actually, I'm super excited with where I'm at now. Yeah, so I've got a couple of um, endurance sport um, competitions coming up in New Zealand. Oh, as part of a breast cancer awareness team, each of the women competing have had either breast or cervical cancer. Um, and we're doing a 10-day event called God Zone. But um, after that, I want to make it to the World CrossFit Championships in um, July 2019 and so I'm committing myself to my CrossFit coach at CrossFit Diamond Valley and I'm, I'm like I'm all yours I will do what I say yeah because I haven't been able to stop the running but I'll just do whatever she says I need to do to get to where I need to go. So let's talk a little bit about some of the highs and lows of your competitive career. Can you take us back to your worst hardest or most difficult race or competitive experience yeah so I I generally have great races that's um, what it sounds like <laughs> and I generally you know I generally really have a good time like you know there's always dark times every event you do there's always going to be dark times but I, I tend to focus on like once I finish just the 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 good good times and I think from that it's like kind of like people I guess would say like childbirth you you go through I never went through childbirth I had two seizures due to HIV but my understanding is like after women go through childbirth, they go, oh, never again, but like the next day, you know, their their mind changes. So that's how I, I, I guess, attack life itself. But I did have a really bad race once over in Ireland. I was part of a very dysfunctional team uh, for a five-day adventure race. It was it rained the whole time and I wasn't prepared enough for the cold <laughs> So I was miserable and cold for five days and it was, well, yeah, probably my least favorite experiences in life. If it's a race that you can't see the positive from it, it sounds like that would be a low place because it sounds like most of the time you can find the good and even the tough experiences. So what is the most important thing you learned from that race? To be very aware of who you're competing with and make sure you're on the, you know, if you're in a team environment for five days, just to make sure you're all on the same page. Made a couple of vows after that to be very, very, like I I just jumped at the opportunity. It was a great opportunity to go racing over in Ireland with this team, you know, it was going to be paid for. But, yeah, after that I, I was very 
particular about who I race with. You talk about how you see the positive and even the hard race experiences and you find the good and everything, but what was your favorite race overall? It's really hard to put a favorite on my races, but I guess the race that gave me the biggest buzz was this adventure race that I did the second year that I did it. Like I came, it's swim, paddle, run, and then ride, and then run. I didn't know where I was placed or anything, but I'd gone through the swim, the paddle, I'd just done the run, and I came in and I heard that I was in first place. And I went, oh, my gosh, like this is happening. Um, And I envisaged it over and over again. And the most beautiful thing was my mum and dad and my nan had come down. They were in the crowd. And I remember like going into transition and then riding out and just hear them cheering for me. And I just went, oh, my gosh, like, my parents thought I was going to die and here they are to see not just flourishing but going coming back to what I was like like when I was younger I was very competitive and here I was once again like winning a race and I just felt like this uh, this surge of this beautiful energy through my body that I did it I can do it so I, I like <laughs> rode like the clappers because I didn't know who was behind me or anything, but I just had this, I need to win this. Uh, I I remember racking my bike and then I had a 2K run along the beach home. And that's when I allowed my body to feel the wind because I looked behind, no one was there. I just thought, oh, man, that 2K was the most exciting time of my life, yeah. Um, And crossing the finish line, just couldn't believe it. And that was when I knew I can compete at an uh, elite level despite living with HIV and despite, you know, I don't know, I just, I made it happen. I made a dream happen. So you are in your late 40s. You're a cancer survivor. You're an HIV AIDS survivor. You're competing in some of the most grueling races on the planet. We talked a little bit about your dietary changes, but aside from that, what types of unique challenges or benefits do you find you encounter as an older athlete training and competing at the level that you do? Well, I used to find recovery um, uh, a problem as I got older um, and joint stiffness and that sort of stuff. So I I remember predominantly I'd say recovery. So you could do a hard session and the next day you'd really feel the lactic acid in your legs and people would just laugh, but I define myself as a lazy athlete. So I don't, (laughs) I don't actually train really hard. I read that. I've read some articles where people ask, okay, well, how do you train for world's toughest mutter? And you're like, well, I don't have a regimented training plan. Is that, is that correct? That's right. I just like, I know what needs to be done. So for this race, for example, I know what needed to be done to get to where I wanted to be. And I just, you know, you can't predict your day, you can't predict life, you can't predict whether you're going to feel great or feel crap. And if you're feeling crap and then you put a big training day on top of that, you're having a negative effect. So for me, it was just day by day. Um, And I just, like I said, I knew the workload I needed to do. But I don't run hard. I don't run fast. Because every time I had to run fast or run to a watch or run to time, like I'd lose the love. I love running along and finding a blackberry bush and eating some berries and then jumping in a lake when I find one. You know, I just love the freedom of finding, I don't know, becoming one with the environment and that sort of stuff. So I, I just love your outlook and how you view the world and especially as it relates to how you participate in sport. Thank you. Would you say that your experience with HIV, with cancer, with with the medical situations that you've been in, those inform how you 
train in that you you know you you really base it around how you feel and, and you're really in tune with how you feel would you say your medical history would inform that or is that just how you've always been well I think it's a learning curve so like I'd race to the point that I'd cross a finish line I'd end up in a fit my eyes would roll you know people need to catch me like I didn't have all I was go I didn't understand how to nurture my body and how to pace or anything like that like so I guess over the time at hurting my body I had to learn how to achieve still the goals I wanted but without taking my body into that state so it's process um the HIV has been like I, I had to learn I was forced me to learn to listen to my body for sure and the fact, like, I don't wear a heart rate monitor, I don't wear a watch. I, even the world's toughest monitor, I didn't put a watch on. And I, I just know I can feel when my body needs food. I feel when my body needs drink. I'm just in tune now because I've never relied on any external stimuli, I guess, like like I said, like I've never relied. I've never looked at a heart rate monitor and gone, oh, I'm running too fast now, I've got to slow down. I've just always, I just feel yeah. so... Yeah, um, so it was just through learning. Over, like, I'm 48 years old. I've been competing or active in sport for 30 to 40 of those years, and I've just adapted and learned. So, what advice would you give to someone who may be around your age and is clearly inspired by your story? And say they're entertaining the idea of trying an obstacle race or a Tough Mudder or even World's Toughest Mudder, but they may find the idea of any of those intimidating or out of their league. What advice would you give? A lot of people just sort of see something like World's Toughest Mudder and then go, oh, I'm going to do that and do lots of training and like end up end up injured and, all, you know, have a lot of complicated problems as a, um, a result of that. So, what your goal is needs to be realistic and also what your history in sport is relevant as well. So I've like I've had a massive history in sports. So something like World's Toughest Mudder, you know, I've got miles and miles and miles, hours and hours of hours of training into my body. So I'm, I'm coming from a, a very strong base. But if someone that just, you know, a lot of people are doing these events, which is awesome, but they're have had a health problem later in their life or just be starting on their sporting journey which is awesome but they don't have those that history yet they they make these massive goals and their body breaks down in the process of trying to achieve them so for me advice is baby steps you don't have your first race to be a, a world's tough smarter or an eight-hour event and if it is that's awesome but be aware that you know trying to achieve your goals you may have many setbacks that you never get there or you like you do the event but you're broken afterwards so baby steps start small be realistic and go and have fun like find the love get rid of your watches get rid of your music go find a trail somewhere walk the hills because in races we've got to walk so why not train that way Um, and just get in touch with learn about your body excellent advice and i love what you're saying about getting rid of the watches and the music, because I think so many of us and myself included are just so dependent on all of that. And we don't get that connection with the world and with nature and that intuitive you have developed by not being dependent on those things. So uh, you don't often hear people say, don't use a heart rate monitor and don't use a watch, but, (laughs) but I like your outlook and, and it makes sense coming from you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's when I train my clients, like, when someone approaches me, I let them know, you know, right from the start, I don't 
train according to general standards like heart rate monitors and watches and times and resting heart rate, that sort of stuff. You know, some people can, some can't, and that's okay. You know, if they still need their watch and that sort of stuff, I'll, you know, work with them, of course, but, you know, encourage find the love. Yeah, find the love and get connected with nature, not with devices. That's right. Yeah. So let's talk about your training because you're not just an athlete, you train others through your leg fit program. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit about what you offer through leg fit? So I, I the people I work with have lots of different backgrounds. Some are high level athletes and others are just sort of starting that journey and others are just wanting to keep fit. So I what I offer, I basically sit down and, and I find out a, a lot about their past, um, whether they're at, athlete, I mean, active as kids, whether they grew up country or city and, you know, what. So I just find out a lot about their background before I, I know how to work with them because what they've done in the past reflects what they can do. They've had a massive, like, sporting background but then sort of had a bit of family time and then they're ready to go back to sporting background. They're going to move a lot faster and have – Generally, you can progress them faster than someone that's just starting up and, you know, wants to lose weight and do a Tough Mudder or something like that. So I find out about the history. Um, then I sort of got a, a tailor program, tailor programs for the individual to, according to their work, you know, how often they work, um, morning, night, shift work, how many hours sleep they get. Um, you know, if someone doesn't get enough sleep, then they're banned from training the next day because that will just have a negative effect. Um, yeah, so I pretty much tailor programs to fit in with people's lifestyle um, and their goals. Like gym, then I do gym workouts if they want to do it from home, home workouts. If they want to go to the bush, then, well, you know, they'll pick up logs and drag them along. So it's online. So it normally involves a, a phone call and then um, an online program. So if somebody wants to train with you, uh, how do they find out about how to do that? Generally, uh, just through Messenger, like that's probably the easier Facebook Messenger or um, I've got a leg fit um page so you can contact me on the, yeah on facebook um I, I, I don't do instagram or anything like that because I, I just have enough trouble with just facebook <laughs> Deanna, you recently wrote a book yeah so the book is called veganize me now and it's a four-week plan um to what i did um because a lot of people well firstly it started because whenever i mentioned that i didn't eat um, animals, people would say, but what do you do for your protein? And I just got kind of over that. So um, I I took some photos and I was pretty ripped and I had some muscles bulging. I just went, look, you know, I'm obviously getting enough protein. So and from that, I had this crazy response. It got shared and shared and shared and so many comments and then people were messaging me, what do you do? Like what – Give me an example of your day, and I like to like respond to everyone, but there was just, it was a bit overwhelming, um, especially my lead up to World's Toughest Mudder. You know, my tra- I was focusing on trading, not texting on the phone. So, I said to my uh, friend Amanda Style, I said she's right into health nutrition. She um, has a business called Healthy Mums, and I said, look, you've got a fo- uh, cookbook or like a recipe book. Are you, you do you want to do this? And she's just gone, yes. Yeah. So we we. We call it Veganize Me Now. And it's just a – what I did is, you know, I just made a decision and went boom. Uh, that's not for everyone and other people have families and husbands or 
wives have got to feed. So it's a, a four-week um, plan just for people to give it a go to see how they feel. Um, and it's all plant-based whole foods. People can choose the raw option. Um, but, you know, there's there's some fun things. Uh, it's really delicious. And we've kind of just made the recipes up ourselves from what we, we've been eating. So it, um, it will be out very soon. It's veganizemenow.com. You can put your orders through there. Awesome. I, I like that it sounds – it just sounds like a practical – guide and recipe book because I I think a lot of people when they think about possibly changing over to a plant-based diet or a vegan diet that might be just an intimidating thing to switch over and so I like that it's like here's a four-week practical uh, recipe book that you can you can try this and see how it works for you and see how you can integrate it into your life and take that intimidation factor out of the process. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty exciting. And we're, we've just been so happy by the response because once you sort of try this, it, it, you kind of get it, if that makes sense. So- yeah, it's hard to understand. I mean, I haven't done it. So it's like, it, it's hard to understand. But I imagine, I mean, just hearing you talk about how it has completely changed your energy level and everything as a 48-year-old high-level ultra endurance athlete like you're you're selling me on this a little bit (laughs) well you you know where to find the book veganizemenow.com that's it so before we go do you have one parting piece of wisdom that you've learned in your competitive journey and possibly even your just extraordinary life journey that you would like to share with the listeners look forward don't look back learn from journey but just keep looking forward let your past inform you as you move forward in your life journey. Yeah. Very simple, very precise, but very powerful. Thank you. So uh, one more time, how can people reach you uh, on Facebook? So uh, on Facebook, I just go under my name, Deanna Blegg. Um, I also have a Blegg page and there's also a Blegg Meat page as well. And I will put them all on the show notes for this episode on seasonedathlete.me, uh, links to your Facebook, Blegg Meat, Blegg Fit. Uh, that way people don't have to worry about spelling or anything like that. Um, but again, I highly recommend Bleg Mitts. Uh, they're just such a simple but effective design. They're just neoprene mittens, basically. Um, I, when I got them in the mail, I was really surprised by them, actually. When I opened them up, I'm like, they're so thin and lightweight. Uh, okay. And I put them on in Spartan Race World Championships. And I love them because they attach via Velcro to your wrist. And they have holes in them so you could actually take them off and pull them back so that you can free up your hands when you need them, but then put them on really quickly when you need the warmth and you need the glove. So it's just, instead of having to fiddle with them when you're borderline hypothermic, uh, (laughs) it's just such a cool design and they are so effective. So they really came in handy for me at Spartan Race World Championship. So I wanted to just give a personal endorsement. You are not paying me to say this. I'm just a satisfied customer. So uh, thank you for creating such a cool product. Thanks so much. So Deanna, thank you so much for being on the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. And so I'm glad and I'm grateful that we got to make this happen. I look forward to seeing you continue to represent seasoned athletes in the best possible way. And hopefully I'll get to meet you in person someday at, at an event that hopefully we'll both be at. Thanks for uh, taking the time to chat with me and um, yeah, be interested in my story. Thank you. All right, seasoned athletes, before we go, here are my top three takeaways from Deanna Blagg. Number one, Deanna recommends training without any outside distractions such as music or heart rate monitors and instead connecting with the world around us. For many of us, myself included, that's a very different approach from what we're used to. 
But you know what? There's something to be said for just being at one with nature. So perhaps, at least from time to time, give it a try. It sounds like an incredibly freeing way to train outdoors. Number two, if you're looking to participate in endurance or adventure races like Deanna does, take baby steps. The body has the ability to adapt to do some pretty amazing feats, such as 24-hour events like World's Toughest Mudder. But we have to build slowly so that we don't break down. Don't ever think that you can't, but be realistic about how you're gonna get there. And number three, to quote Deanna directly, look forward, don't look back. Learn from your journey, but keep looking forward. Deanna has been hit with a number of life circumstances that could easily break someone's spirit, but she continues to keep looking forward, and that has allowed her to come back from devastating illness and go on to compete at the highest level and truly inspire us all. Thank you again to Deanna Blagg. Thank you for listening to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. The music you heard on this episode is from bensound.com. This episode has been brought to you by Audible, where you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash seasonedathlete. Living in LA, I spend a lot of time on the road, and I don't have much time at home to get any reading in. So I love downloading books from Audible so I can listen on my commute or on the long drive to and from my weekend races. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, including some that have been authored by previous season athlete guests like Catherine Switzer and Lee DiPietro. Definitely check those books out, by the way. They are awesome. To get your free audiobook download and 30-day free trial, go to audibletrial.com slash seasonedathlete or visit seasonedathlete.me and click on Audible Trial right there on the main menu. Be sure to follow us on social, Seasoned Athlete Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And hey, do you know of someone who would be a great guest on this show? Shoot us an email, seasonedathlete at gmail.com and tell us all about them. Or if it's you, tell us all about yourself. Be sure to check back next week. I'm putting together a big end of year best of show. I'm going back and listening to all of the previous episodes that we've put out this year and finding some of my favorite clips of the year. So definitely check back and listen to that. Until then, go out there and embrace your extraordinary, my fellow season athletes, because you know what? You so can.